Hello, guten tag, and welcome to another episode of Soccer Cast Chicago. I am your host, Alex Campbell, and soccer is back. Thank you to the German Bundesliga. A full weekend of action in the books. The first soccer in what feels like an absolute eternity. We've got plenty to talk about today, and I'm excited to break it all down and talk soccer in Germany, in particular love of my co-host today, Soccer Cast original from the Tennessean, Mr. Drake Hills. Yes, Alex, big yes. Ah, uh, mir geht es gut. Uh, my German's really weak, but uh, Google Translate can help me with that much. <laughs> hey, so, you know what? Um, in my few years of German study, I think you would fit right in, so I'm quite proud of you. Yeah, it's, uh, if, if we had a, a Spanish soccer league going, I, I might be able to help a bit more in that regard with some language skills. Not so much on the German side, but Mr. Hills, how are you? How are you holding up during quarantine? What's keeping you busy during uh, these strange times? Well, I think I'm doing pretty well. I think that in this time, I have come to the realization that I think I've hit a, I would say, a good groove in how I'm dealing with not being able to cover Nashville SC at Nissan Stadium or go out to the training facilities and get a chance to interact with some of the guys with the coaching staff and everybody at the club and uh, be able to document what is going on with Nashville SC's inaugural campaign in MLS, which was was quite eventful. I would say I got the chance to be able to uh, go down to Florida and the Tampa area and cover their preseason, at least the latter end of it, and then obviously covering their first two matches in MLS and then in the abrupt stop. So um, Yeah, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> yeah, and it, it certainly was electric. Uh, I didn't get much sleep the week going into the going into match day one. Um yeah, that that was one thing. However, in this quarantine, I've gotten a chance to take a look at some things that I'm doing outside of work. Getting able to read more books, being able to get on a run every single day, get, get my fitness back. And of course, being able to take more time to focus on how our families are doing, because that's the most important thing is checking in on our, our loved ones and our, our family and making sure that everyone's safe. During this time, it's obviously... There are some unfortunate things going on, and of course, safety has been a big concern. However, there are some really cool stories, and you get a chance to really learn about these players, especially in a market like Nashville, where you know it's relatively new, and people are still getting used to soccer in Nashville. Soccer players are getting used to Nashville. So it's an interesting time, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important to remember that soccer players, any pro athletes like the rest of us, they're going through difficult times as well. Everybody has their own various circumstances that they're, that they're dealing with. You know, the pandemic has impacted everybody in some form or another. So to your point, you know, finding a rhythm, you know, using this as an opportunity for betterment, whether it's, you know, recommitting to fitness or working on other skills or just, you know, trying to focus on things that you might not have time for in the day-to-day, but also there could be some unique opportunities. Like you said, you know, these circumstances are so different for everyone that there are certainly stories there to tell. And, you know, again, just to, to replug this again, Drake's done at the Tennessean, covering Nashville SC in their debut MLS season, which we hope for all of MLS will get underway eventually. So certainly check out his work there. But for now, Drake, we do have soccer somewhere. We have soccer in Germany. We've got the first weekend of the return of the Bundesliga in the rear view before we get into the soccer itself, I've got to ask you, you know, last week on the first you know episode back of the podcast, Henry Bushnell and I talked about 
the you know the pros and cons of supporting various teams. And I know that FC Bayern Munich are very close to your heart, but that some people may feel um, hesitant to just go out and pick the pick a front runner to pick the team that's won seven titles in a row. So I, I'd I'd like to if you if you're willing ask you to, you know, kind of quickly explain how you got into supporting Bayern Munich in the first place and what would you say to people to try to convince them that it's that there's plenty of room on the wagon? <laughs> you know, that's an interesting question in the, at least the latter part of it because, sure, Bayern may be seen as a Super Cup, but I do not see them as the Real Madrid, the Barcelona, the Manchester United of the world. I truly think that Bayern Munich on a global scale has so much to present to the everyday American soccer fan, the everyday South American soccer fan, the everyday African soccer fan, maybe some other parts of the world where Real Madrid and Barcelona and some of the, the Latin, you know, the Spanish clubs are, are king, Mm -hmm. you know, that when they reign or going into America where Liverpool, Manchester United, a lot of the English premier league clubs are taking shape and, really garnering a lot of interest in, of course, I mean, you have those big clubs, and yes, Bayern is probably financially up there, but I think in terms of learning so much about German soccer culture, I hope that answers your question, but I really do think that there is a lot to learn when it comes, not just with Bayern Munich, but just taking a look at even Borussia Dortmund as well. Yeah, absolutely. So when, you know, can you just kind of take me through, when were when did you first start supporting Bayern? What what got you into Bayern Munich before you had chosen them as your club of choice? I do not know. Do not ask me who they were playing. But I do know Champions League 2011-2012 campaign. Oh, yeah. I remember it was obviously the year before they won the Champions League. It was a game where they were on the road and I just remember the way that they were playing and the stealth black kits that they were wearing. And I remember knowing who Iron Robin was not just because of, of Holland, but also because of Chelsea. And I was interesting. I was like, oh, I didn't know he played for this team. Um, and so I took a look at Bastian Schweinsacker, who I already knew played for Bayern, and just taking a look at the way they played. And I remember... Like, okay, okay. And watching them throughout the, throughout that the rest of the season, because I think it was towards the latter end of the Champions League campaign. And then there came that next year. And, of course, it may sound kind of like a oh, of course, type of thing. But, yeah, I mean, it's the treble season. It's Jump Hikers coming back in. Oh, yeah, and that team was day. phenomenal. Yeah, it was. It was. But it's just, I'm sure some folks are going to be like, oh, well, of course, he became a Bayern fan when they won the treble. So it was a good time, you know, it was, I, I really enjoyed getting to learn about not only German soccer culture, because before that time, I never watched the Bundesliga, I never watched German domestic football. It's funny because I do, I truly do think that the World Cup win really helped shine a light on the Bundesliga, you know, domestic. And of course, right. with, oh, the contract of course. With, with, with Fox Sports, I think, you know, that contract, that TV deal was great for the Bundesliga to put not only just... You know, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund on the map, but taking a look at what is going on with Borussia Mönchengladbach, mm-hmm. what is going on with Red Bulls Leipzig? Who, like, who is Red Bulls Leipzig? What the heck? Red Bulls has another team, or what's what's going on here? And then taking a look at being 
being able to see what some of the younger players that are coming out of Germany or even out of other countries. And obviously what came about just a few years later is what's going on with some of the young American players that are coming out of Germany. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember that, that, that I want to say that's the spring of 2012 when I became uh, – I, I began to know who Bayern was and truly I want to say during the 2012-13 campaign with Jump Hikers leading Bayern Munich to a treble was when I truly became a Bayern Munich fan. Not a, not bad timing at all. Um, quickly before we move on, I promise we are going to talk about other clubs besides Bayern Munich. But one quick last thing: they uh, won two nothing this weekend against Union Berlin, and that game was a great reminder. You talk about American players, and you talk about young and exciting players coming through Bayern. Not quite American, but he played in MLS, so we're going to claim him anyway. Alfonso Davies is quickly becoming. I mean, I I've known about Alfonso Davies obviously for a long time as someone who pays attention to soccer in the United States. But he's quickly becoming one of my favorite players in the world to watch. I mean, the guy is appointment television in my mind at this stage. And, you know, to see him transform into into an elite left back in this very ranging role Bayern have given him, it's just, as a neutral, it's unbelievable to watch. And, you know, Bayern are an incredibly talented team no matter what. But to watch Alfonso Davies right now is just... I, I, there's few players in the world right now who excite me as much as he does. Yeah, and one thing I want to point out with Alfonso Davies is he needs, he deserves a front the credit that he's had to be placed into a left-back role. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when he was with Vancouver Whitecaps, he played a lot more advanced. He had a lot more space to work with to be more creative, take more players on. And not to say that he's not doing that now with Bayern, but he's technically had to learn so much in so little time. Right, yeah. The and, learning curve is huge, and he's just crushed it. And he's had to step up in big-time Bundesliga matches and with Bayern having injuries with Kingsley Coleman and some of and David Alaba being nicked up every now and then. That isn't... You know necessarily what 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 Hans Flick wanted in terms of you know being an interim guy with you know all types of injuries and tactics gone wrong and players playing out of position or not playing the way you want them to in those positions for Alfonso Davies to come in there and do what he does and learn more of the technical side I think he deserves that credit because we all know we saw the pace when he's playing with Canada we see the pace when he when he played for Vancouver, but to have that show against some of Germany's best, against some of the European top players uh, in the Bundesliga, I think that's great. Absolutely, and you know, uh, you know, you mentioned Hansi Flick, who comes in as an interim boss. Alfonso Davies has started every single Bundesliga match since Hansi Flick came in. So something to be said there that he has gotten on the right side of his new coach, and you know, that's provided a springboard for Alfonso Davies. So I will say this. I will not advocate picking Bayern as your team of choice, but I will advocate watching as much Alfonso Davies as you possibly can. Okay, enough about Bayern for now. Let's get to the soccer from the weekend. Going to start by just running through the scores. First, Dortmund 4, Schalke 0 in the River Derby, which quickly became a demolition derby. Augsburg 1, Wolfsburg 2 as VAR bails out Wolfsburg and American defender John Brooks when it looked like they were going to go behind late in the game. Dusseldorf nil, Paderborn nil in a relegation battle. That game was about as boring as you can imagine between two pretty lousy teams. Leipzig won, Freiburg won as RB Leipzig lose a step in the title race. Hoffenheim nil, Hertha Berlin three, Berlin scoring all three goals in the second half. 
Frankfurt 1, Gladbach 3, Frankfurt looking like a team that sold their entire strike force last year like they did. Cologne 2, Mainz 2 as Mainz come back from 2-0 down. Union Berlin 0, Bayern 2 as mentioned as the Bavarians run their usual clinic. And then finally today on Monday afternoon here in the States, Werder Bremen 1, Bayer Leverkusen 4, and big yikes on Werder Bremen. So before we talk about the soccer itself, Drake, uh, what did you make of what we saw this weekend? Kind of a weird atmosphere without the fans. We saw some teams social distancing, but then we saw some other teams like Leverkusen basically ignore the recommendations in their celebrations. Teams could make five subs. You, what did you? What were your kind of key takeaways from watching this soccer this weekend? Well, first and foremost, it didn't seem like a lot of people really cared about some of the altered details. They were just so thirsty to get soccer back. I mean, I was talking to a lot of collegiate players that I've gotten a chance to connect with um, over my years as a reporter. Um, and some of those players who've been able to go on and play professionally here in the States, but being able to watch on a Saturday morning, Dortmund Schalke, Riviera Derby, they didn't care. I mean, and one thing that I thought was interesting is that people really enjoyed the fact that they could hear the communication on the field. Yeah, that's a and, huge plus. I mean, there's some drawbacks, obviously. You know, we'd all like the fan noise, especially in Germany where the fan culture is so passionate. But to be able to right. hear the communication on the field, hear the coaches being able to communicate, which is something that's a big deal because normally if you're playing on like if you're an outside back or a winger on the opposite side of the field from your manager you can't hear a word that guy is saying so that's a cool dynamic that was pretty cool i mean i I think on top of that it was nice to see just soccer being able to overcome and finally be put on a screen that's live i think that was awesome uh, and, and obviously another thing is the fact that there was such good programming and making sure that these games were still taken as Bundesliga matches, that they weren't some flimsy, you know, here you go, kind of half effort. I think they really did a good job in, in producing uh, good good games to watch. Uh, obviously with Dortmund and Schalke, the scoreline didn't necessarily reflect that. Uh, with the, I read somewhere that it's the worst result since 1978. Uh, in terms of in terms of that goal differential, um, but to be able to kick it off with um, a prime time match like that and, and to go and see everything that happened afterwards, I think that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, obviously the matches were lopsided, but I think the bookends of the clinic that Dortmund put on attacking wise on Saturday morning, and then the Kai Havertz show this afternoon for Leverkusen, which we will get to breaking down in a couple of minutes. No, I I think you know. There's, you're not going to please everybody. The people who don't really like soccer to begin with are not going to probably be all that entertained by this version of it. But I think at least, you know, scrolling through Twitter on Saturday morning and whatnot and just kind of through various conversations, it does seem like a lot of people who never in their lives would have turned on the Bundesliga really gave it a chance. I mean, I think, as you said, we're all really starving for sports content, no matter what our interests be across the spectrum of that. But... No, I think, you know, I think the Bundesliga acquitted itself well. Like you said, everything felt, you know, up to quality as usual, despite the lack of fans. And yeah, if, you know, you really hope we're going to have to kind of hold our breath here this next week to wait and see, does anyone test positive after a game? Hopefully not, and hopefully things can continue going on as planned. But I think, you know, my, my general takeaway is 
high-level soccer in any form is better than no soccer. So is it flawed? Absolutely. But I don't think we need to pump in crowd noise. I don't think we need to overcomplicate this. It's, you know, this is an opportunity to, you know, see the, to see the game in a different way. And I hope that when things do go back to normal, particularly in Germany, that the importance of fan culture, not only to all of soccer, but to Bundesliga soccer, can be fully recognized then for how much of an impact it does make. Yeah, and I would just say to cap it, uh, obviously, you know, we can't have our cake and eat it too. We got a chance to get soccer back, but it was a bit unfortunate to see Gio Reyna uh, go out yeah. during the warm-up yeah. and have that happen. But I think a lot of folks are excited about what Gio can do, not only just for Dortmund at the domestic level, but what he could possibly do for some of the higher-level uh, junior national, youth national teams and possibly break it into the senior team um, in the next couple of years. Yeah, the one note I'll say on Gio Reyna, and I think Christian Pulisic indirectly deserves a lot of credit for this. Um, Gio Reyna is being talked about in you know by people and in ways that I don't think we've seen many Americans talked about before. You know, I think when Christian Pulisic came over, he was kind of the guinea pig. It's like, okay, here's this big hyped American kid. Let's see what he can do, and he did really well. And I think you know even guys like Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney, you know, were still not really recognized by the, you know, the European soccer establishment when they showed up. Even Alfonso Davies wasn't given much attention when he first joined. It took him, you know, putting on the kind of shows we've seen to really get the attention. Whereas, I don't know if it's his name. I don't know if it's because he's treading the same path Christian Pulisic did almost exactly. But Gio Reyna has a lot of hype around him right now. And, you know, he picked up a calf injury in the warm-up, as you mentioned, Hopefully nothing serious, because particularly right now with the rash of injuries that Borussia Dortmund are dealing with, to Marco Royce in particular, Giorena could have a big opportunity here down the stretch of this season. And as you mentioned, it looks like he's going to be a mainstay of the national team or the youth setups wherever he's asked to go. Greg Berhalter, before this all stopped, said that Giorena was going to get called up in March. Obviously, those games never happened, so that call-up never materialized, but Certainly one to watch at Dortmund Giorena. So next up, um, Drake's going to help me through this for the first time here. What I want to do as we go through these Bundesliga podcasts, because there's more of a recap structure here than maybe, you know, what I would do in the normal course of these podcasts where I have them be more interview focused. With breaking down what goes on in the Bundesliga, I want to do a bit of a top four and a bottom three, mirroring the table. And I promise I did not steal this from BR Football Ranks and the great Sam Ty with his weekly rankings. But, you know, looking at what were the top four things from teams we I saw this weekend and who's in the bottom three, who really didn't look good. So, Drake, starting with the top four, in fourth place for me this week is Hertha Berlin, who after a season last year where they were looking over their shoulder at the relegation battle, They've had a much better campaign in a really strong year for capital soccer in Germany and Berlin, along with Union. A great second half. They burst out of the gate, score three goals, including what I think was the goal of the week for Mateus Cunha. And, you know, I think it's just an example of, you know, the really solid season that Hertha Berlin have quietly been having. Yeah, and Hertha Berlin is an interesting club because it has so much history and a lot of pressure, I believe, on Hertha to really produce. And... If they've they've done well in producing some young talent, you know, in the days, of course, quick national SC plug. That's the same academy that Honey Mukhtar 
National FC's lone designated player came from. Even a guy like Jerome Boateng came out of the Hertha Berlin Youth Academy. So they know and have had history of putting talent on the field, especially young talent. And they've had a lot of pressure in trying to make sure that they can have that talent, you know, compete in the Bundesliga. Um, and there's some actually some controversial stuff. I don't know if you were paying attention, but with uh, Dedrick Boyata and a little bit of controversy there, apparently he made contact after one of the goals scored. And uh, apparently, in a re- allegedly and reportedly, kissed uh, the side of his, his teammate, which, of course, in this type of situation... Is like a big yikes. So yeah, I believe his excuse was that he was not kissing him. He was whispering some tactical instructions in his ear very, very closely, and uh, you yeah, can make so of that I, what you will. So a big, little big yikes right there, I would say. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, not the greatest moment there of the weekend for Boyata, but he helped keep a clean sheet. Excuse me, as Hertha win three zero over. Hoffenheim, who are battling for Europa League place, not a great first step back out into the world for them post-coronavirus, so they'll have to get their act together if they want to stay in that race. Moving on, in third this week, Drake, I've got Borussia Mönchengladbach, and, you know, there's some, there's some, you know, a lot of teams out there that might have some boring tactical systems. Gladbach aren't one of them. The I love watching the movement of their front three of Playa and Bolo and Taram, who, you know, are swapping constantly between a number nine, a number ten, and a wing position, they just caused absolute havoc for the Frankfurt defense. And, you know, this is a team who, you know, as, as Henry Bushnell talked about with me last week in his recommendation of Gladbach to his brother, they're not the richest club in the world. They're not the most successful club in the world. But, you know, there's a great community around that club, and they play some really fun soccer, and that was on full display, I thought, this weekend. And if you could say München Gladbach, if you can say that, you best believe you deserve to have some allegiance to that club and, and have a little bit of swagger to it, too. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, there's obviously shorter ways to, that we can uh, can go about it. But, you know, right, if you're a new uh, if you're a new soccer supporter just getting into German soccer, you can impress your friends by just showing them the name of the club and being like, hey, I yeah. know how to pronounce that. Or Gladbach for short. But I'll just give a quick note on Brio Limbolo who I've been watching since he first broke into the Swiss national team. And I also realized when he was in the Bundesliga with Schalke a couple of years ago, I personally think he's one of those players that he he progresses in incremental states, I feel. like I think he does some things that is like, wow, okay, the pace is there. You know, he, he can... He has a quick strike or two. He has a lot of strength to him. He, he's a real athletic guy. Um, Guy's built like a brick somebody, house. Yeah, he's somebody. If you know, if I wanted to see somebody thrive, that's outside of Bayern, it would be him. Well, and I briefly mentioned earlier, you know, the drop off Frankfurt has seen this year after they sold their attacking trio of Alaire, Jovic, and Rebic all at the same time last season. There is a strong possibility the exact same thing is going to happen to Gladbach this summer because those three guys, Alessandro Playa, Briel and Bolo, and Taram, are all on the transfer market. I mean, they are, I don't think Gladbach wants to sell any of them, but they are all very in demand players. And I would not be shocked if all three of those guys head out the door this summer. Um, next up, number two, I've talked about them a little bit already, but I've got Bayer Leverkusen, who just demolished. Werder Bremen this afternoon, and the only two words I have for this game, Drake, are Kai Havertz. That guy 
is going to be an absolute superstar. Anyone who knows, I mean, I don't, I'm no Bundesliga expert, but I've been aware of him for a while, as I know you have, and just watching him play, the guy, you know, he, he, he only sprints about as much as Lionel Messi, which is to say almost not at all, but he somehow is everywhere all at once. His movement's fantastic. And, you know, the Bremen defense has struggled this season anyway. Havertz is going to be in their nightmares for weeks, the way he had them spinning in circles today. Yeah, Kai Havertz is one of those guys who I would say if he was at a Bayern and he was at a Dortmund, I think he would be a lot more tough of the town. He's got plenty of time. He could be there soon enough. <laughs> yeah, sure. He's in that, you know, early 20s. Uh, it's interesting he... He's the same, similar age as like Jonathan Tao, who's another, you know, I guess you could say early 20s, in, inching into their mid-20s range of mm-hmm. that German generation of players that are kind of taken over for the Thomas Mullers and, uh, you know, those guys who are at the back end of their international careers. You're having, obviously, guys like, you know, Kai and, uh, you know, other, other players who, whether it's at in the domestic system or or abroad who are coming as that next German uh, generation. Uh, obviously, like Leroy Sané is someone who, who fits into that category. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kai Havertz, I think if, you know, he, he's he's done his job and more. You know, he's, <laughs> I think sometimes even when Leon Bailey is, isn't necessarily the top guy, he ends up filling that role, Kai Havertz. But to go back to Mönchengladbach, I mean, you have a lot of talent there as well. You've got, you know, Christoph Kramer, who isn't necessarily young. Yeah, mean, remember just, when he was the last guy on that Germany world? I, I totally forgot about Christoph Kramer, but then I, my memory was jogged that he was the the 23rd name on Yogi Love's t- on Yogi Love's roster for the 2014 World Cup. I remember he was kind of like this young up-and-comer. It was, you know, he was to that German team what Christian Le- Leitner was to the Dream Team. It was like, okay, <laughs> all right, who is this guy? What has he done to deserve to be here? But the coach really likes him. So, you know, his right. his career has maybe not been what he would have, you know, what maybe some would have expected it to be, you know, six years on from that tournament for him to kind of still be where he is. But certainly, he's a very productive, quality Bundesliga player. Yeah, so you have you have guys like that um, for, for Mönchengladbach or Leverkusen who, of course, they are, you know, good domestic guys. I mean, Patrick Hermann for... For yeah, another he's another one in the Cromer mold who was, you know, a few years ago supposed to be right on the cusp of the national team that never really happened. Doesn't mean he's not a good player. He just, you know, it seemed like his his window has passed. But I mean, I watch a guy like exactly. Kai, I watch a guy like Kai Havertz play, and you correct me if I'm wrong because you're the Bayern expert. You know, he to me, if looking at you know what the German national team is going to need going forward. It's like you just rolled Thomas Muller back to 20 years old, but maybe even more athletic. I mean, Muller plays such a specific role and doesn't really fit, you know, doesn't necessarily fit into, you know, a lot of roles that, you know, you might stereotypically expect on a soccer field. He's not really a 9, he's not really a 10, he's not really a winger, he's he's something else. And Havertz seems to fit that mold really nicely. And so, you know, when I see Kai Havertz, I see just, you know, Thomas Muller rolling back the years, which is a scary thought for everybody else in the world, knowing that Germany might just have, you know, have a carbon copy, if not better, replacement whenever Mueller decides to, to hang it up. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as I mentioned before with Kai Havertz and 
whether it's Jonathan Ta or Leon Goretzka with, you know, obviously with who is with Byron right now. You've got those, you know, Leroy Sané. You've got those guys who are still very young, and I truly believe that they'll probably be that next generation of, you know, the German national team. And that's just the way it goes. And, you know, someone like, um, as, as we mentioned, like Christoph Kramer, who's probably in that dead spot. He's not, you know, 31, 32, 33, but he's also not 22, 23, 24 either. Right. So, um, you know, definitely uh, something to look at for the next World Cup. And even the Euros next season, of, of course, if we were going to see what was going to happen with this German national team this summer, but obviously with what's happened, we shall see it next summer. Absolutely. And the top team this week, anyone who watched the games this week can probably guess where this is going. Bruce Dortmund, who, man, that first game, Drake, looked like a team that didn't have any break against a team that hadn't played an organized game of soccer in two months because Dortmund, despite their injury woes, just blew Schalke away. Erling Holland scored again because, of course, he did. And Dortmund, if they can come out of the blocks this hot, they've they're going to feel like they've got a real shot not only just to run down Bayern but to to potentially continue this sort of demolition with Erling Haaland as the fulcrum of that just smashing goals past every team in his path. Yeah, Erling Haaland is is just a <laughs> it's an interesting story, you know, having him just come onto the scene. I mean, it wasn't like this is just a Bundesliga thing, obviously. Right. We saw what happened with the two over two legs against PSG in the Champions League. I mean, this isn't something that is is all hype. I mean, this guy has been able to score, and so I just sit back and laugh every single time I hear his name because it's 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 random to me. Like I think, like I genuinely genuinely think it's random for him to just come onto the scene like that and just bang in some goals, you know, here and there, and voila, you've got you've got your your top goal scorer now. Yeah, the pay, the speed with which he went from no one had heard of him to scoring nine goals against Honduras in a U20 World Cup match to now less than a year later one of the best center forwards in the world is is absolutely insane. Like we there's been plenty of examples of soccer players just rocketing to stardom quickly. But like even Kylian Mbappe didn't go this fast. Exactly. Exactly, man. So, you know, Dortmund look excellent. Um, a big game to look out for a week from, well, this is coming out on Tuesday. So a week from today, Bayern at Dortmund, which, you know, could in a lot of ways, almost if Bayern win, that might feel like the title race is over. Any other result, and it's really going to feel like game on down the stretch in the Bundesliga. All right, so from the good news, Drake, let's talk about some bad news for some teams this week. So third from bottom this week, I have fittingly in the place they'd actually be in the real table, Dusseldorf, who drew nil-nil with Paderborn in what the English would call a relegation six-pointer in a game that only two points were won, a 0-0 draw. Dusseldorf hit the post like five times in this game, and my question for them at this point is, you know, you're trying to claw your way out of the relegation zone, and you just continue to generate these A-plus opportunities and you can't put one of them away. I mean, very literally, just opportunity after opportunity missed this weekend for Fortuna Dusseldorf. Well, I mean, Dusseldorf is pretty much the Dusseldorf that we all saw before the COVID-19 pandemic. They, they've scored the least goals in the, all the entire Bundesliga. So, 
Now you've got <laughs> that includes you know a pretty bad goal differential. But if you're going to be the, the the least scoring club in the entire domestic league, I mean, it's a good way to get relegated. Yep, yep, exactly. And so, it, unfortunately for them, they just continue the narrative that they had before. And unfortunately, Zach Steffen, U.S. men's national team starting goalkeeper, continues to be out. This this knee tendonitis thing that's been a problem for months now. You know, he was one of those players we really hoped the two months off would allow to get back to full fitness, and it hasn't. And so, lots of questions to be asked about what's next for Zach Steffen. He'll go back to Manchester City this summer, and we'll see. Does he go back to the Bundesliga next year? Well, you know, hopefully Zach is able to return to full fitness and then get a good run of games somewhere next season because it doesn't look like in any way that this season in Dusseldorf is going to end well for him. Uh, Next up, Drake, we won't have to dwell on this team. We've talked about them quite a bit already. Number two from bottom this week, I've got Schalke, who, you know, just looked like they were asleep at the wheel. You know, obviously no team is fully fit right now, but, you know, everyone is basically on a level playing field right now in terms of where they are in, in with, you know, tactical familiarity, team fitness, you know, amount of time they've been able to spend together. And Shelka were just flat. There was no attacking threat at all. And that did not change after halftime when Guido Bergstahl and Rabbi Matondo came onto the field. Uh, Weston McKinney, U.S. International, had a, had a tough outing, although he wasn't getting much help. He spent the second half after those attacking subs were made is basically the only central player on the entire field. They were playing like a a 4-1-5, basically, at that point, Schalke. So a, a really tough day at the office for them. They've got to wake up, Drake, because while they may be 10 points adrift, well, I guess 13 points adrift now of Leverkusen, they're still in the lead for that final Europa League spot with a bunch of teams hot on their heels. they got to figure this out in quick, or otherwise they're going to see a lot of teams blow right by them. Yeah, you, you said it to begin with. I mean, they didn't necessarily look like they executed their quick plan, you know, their quick return to play plan, like someone like Dortmund or Bayern or, or even Leverkusen. So it's got to be something where they just have to do what they can because at this point, like you said, I mean, there really isn't much of a advantage for a lot of these clubs Obviously, the talent disparity is still there if you took a look at someone like Dusseldorf versus a Bayern or a Dortmund. However, a, a club like Schalke, who, you know, it's a derby match. Obviously, it's the first match back after some months off, but it's the same thing for Dortmund. So that doesn't necessarily play a, a point. But, but listen, I mean, the, 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 the season continues, and so they will have a chance to recuperate. Yeah, there's that's the one thing about the Bundesliga is... The title race is still on. The Champions League race is still on. The relegation battle is still on. And that Europa League race, you know, either, depending on how things come out on top with the Champions League race, you know, you'd have to guess right now, you know, either Gladbach, Leipzig, or Leverkusen is going to finish fifth and be the odd man out there. But they'll comfortably get that first Europa League spot. It's going to be a mad dash, though, for that second one. There's four or five teams within five points there. And so that's certainly a battle to watch, too. It's not all about the extremes. But, you know, at the negative extreme, Drake, my my bottom team this week, number one on my bottom three list, has to be Werder Bremen. You know, pack your bags, boys, because um, they're going straight to the two Bundesliga. They could end up below Paderborn if they keep playing like this. I mean, they couldn't defend 
movement in the box to save their lives. It was free roam on Kai Havertz's second goal. And just their defense was despondent. Josh Sargent, the American, came on with 20 minutes to go. He touched the ball four times. None of them in a remotely dangerous opportunity, which is not his fault. His midfield wasn't exactly giving great service. But, you know, this team, Drake, is, you know, a German legend. And something Henry and I talked about last week is how Germany has seen several big clubs already get relegated, you know, by not keeping up with the times, so to speak. And Bremen looks like they're just going to be the next one in that line. There wasn't much fight at all in that team today. Yeah, well, bring on back Hamburg, who (laughs) obviously before last season, they had never been to the Schweizer Bundesliga. Here they are. And you know they're second in the standings in the fight of Bundesliga, and you know that's that's a club that's another big club that's another historical club, and same thing with Stuttgart. You know Stuttgart mm-hmm. being a derby, you know they represent they they represent Baden-Württemberg, the province down there in the southwest of Germany, and now all of a sudden you don't you don't have you got you've got Augsburg, okay, if you want to you want to throw them in there, but. You know, it's, it's a bit different with Stuttgart usually being the, the top club down there. And to see both of those clubs in the fight to Bundesliga, it'd be nice to have those clubs back in the top flight competing. Another derby match for uh, Stuttgart, another derby match with Bayern, you know, down there as, as rivals in the south. And then, of course, Hamburg just being another historical club, as I said. So, you know, if, if, if Bremen don't want to be, you know, in the Bundesliga, if, you know, some of these other clubs don't want to be in the Bundesliga, I'm sure that Hamburg and Stuttgart, uh, to begin with, are some clubs that do want to get back to the top flight. Well, absolutely, and these giants falling allows for scenes like what we saw at the end of last year with Union Berlin when they qualified for the Bundesliga for the first time, and what that meant to that club. So, you know, it's a trade-off. Yes, are these big clubs going down? Sure, but that creates that opportunity for a great story for somebody else. A real quick, Drake, Henry and I talked about this quite a bit on the first show, but I want, you know, I want any national team observe anybody who observes the national team astutely, I want their take on this. Is it better for Josh to go down with Werder, assume that the strikers he's been fighting with for playing time, many of them will leave, and for him to get lots of minutes and hopefully score lots of goals down there? Or is it best for him to either get a loan back to the Bundesliga, get a loan somewhere else, really to just get the heck out of there because of how negative a year this has been? No, I think that this is an opportunity for for him to stay in the you know in the Bundesliga. Regardless, I think that this campaign is really just an audition. Regardless of what Werder Bremen does, mm-hmm. if he can show that he can compete against some of the top center backs in the Bundesliga in Europe, uh, especially if he goes up against some of the bigger clubs, mm-hmm. and he can showcase his talent, I'm sure someone will want to be able to take. Josh Sargent, a young, promising American striker off the hands, likely for cheap, cheaper, I should say, than for usual, um, especially for some of these Bundesliga clubs who are either likely going to be selling some of their big players mm-hmm. or they're trying to stock on and perhaps compete a little bit more in that top three, top four. So I think for Sargent, not to say that he needs to go ahead and throw Werder Bremen down the drain. Of course, he's going to want to compete with his teammates to want to get out of the relegation battle. However, when push comes to shove, I don't think that being despite the Bundesliga's number one score and you're playing against Dinamo Dresden, you know, weekend or whatever, I don't necessarily think that that's going to be 
you know, the best thing. I think that the real, the real challenge is, you know, can you can you compete against some of the top clubs in the Bundesliga? And if Werder go down, some of those clubs that you played against are going to want your name on the signature, or are going to want your signature on the paper and want their name, your name on their jersey. So. I think this is an opportunity for him to audition and show what he's got. And hopefully he gets better minutes down the stretch. I mean, you know, he struggled for playing time this season, but hey, Earth to Ruder Bremen, it hasn't exactly worked. So give the kid a chance. Hopefully he can impress and parlay that into something better down the road. Before we wrap up, a quick uh, reminder of how things stand at both ends of the table right now. Bayern Munich continue to lead on 58 points. Dortmund second at 54. Borussia Mönchengladbach 52. RB Leipzig 51, and Bayer Leverkusen 50 to round out the top five. At the bottom, Paderborn, bottom on 17 points. Werder Bremen, 18. Dusseldorf are in the relegation playoff spot on 23. And the nearest competitor to them are Mainz on 27. Uh, real quick, Drake, before we go here, as a Bayern fan... Who are you most afraid of in the title race? You know, do you view it as it's it's Dortmund or Bayern, or do you feel like one of those other teams in the chasing pack can really be a threat down the stretch? I definitely think it's a Dortmund Bayern situation. I mean, it's it's been you know, obviously in previous years where the Derby, you know, their classica had you know big implications for what would happen after the fact. So uh, obviously, last year being an example. And with with Bayern, I think it definitely is someone in terms of Dortmund that they need to think about because of the way that they're playing with Erling Haaland being who he is as of right now. And if Marco Royce and some of those other guys can keep their fitness, they're definitely a challenge as they always are. So uh, with Bayern, obviously, we don't know what's going to go on with other competitions, but specifically with the Bundesliga, I definitely think it's a two- dog race at the moment well and that race will take center stage like i said next week the schedule does start to get tighter here we had a very normal game week this weekend but there are games this next coming weekend saturday and sunday and then the teams will play again on tuesday and wednesday of next week before another round of weekend fixtures eight more games to go in the bundesliga and they would like to get all of this wrapped up as soon as possible preferably before the end of june so that we can have a summer transfer window on schedule. So plenty to watch. I know Drake Hills, you'll be watching Bayern Munich closely and the rest of this. And I'm sure that uh, we'll have to talk more in the future as the Bundesliga winds down, depending on how things play out. So many ways this could go everywhere along the table in the Bundesliga. Plenty of excitement to come. So my friend, thank you so much for taking the time out of your Monday evening to join me to talk some soccer and Here's to the return of the beautiful game of the foosball over in Germany. And here's to the continuation of soccer pass. Appreciate you, Alex. You, you too, Drake. Continue to be well, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks so much for taking the time. <laughs>